your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Allen drops it off behind him to McGowan's. McGowan's across the timeline. Shakes, bakes, drives, puts it up. No, kicks it. Webster, three ball. Got it! Holy cow, Nebraska's come from behind and has taken the lead on a three ball by Kobe Webster and a timeout on the floor. Sports Nightly is presented by the NDOT Highway Safety Office, who reminds you to buckle up and put the phone down. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. We're back for another week of Sports Nightly here on the Husker Sports Network, but uh, you're, it's going to be a rare appearance of Greg and Ben because of all the basketball games that we have coming up this week. The men will play Tuesday and Thursday night, knocking us off. The women will play Wednesday. And volleyball is at 7 o'clock Friday, so a short show Friday. So just tonight and Friday to get after us here on the program. Hope you had a good weekend. Glad you're with us here on a Monday night. Here's what we have coming up on the program for you tonight. Sam McEwen of the Omaha World-Herald is going to be with us. He's got a really interesting piece that he put up today at Omaha.com about Fred Hoiberg and his offense and how he may need to change a little bit of what he does moving forward in the Big Ten Conference. It may be the same formula that was very effective for him at Iowa State, just might not work in the Big Ten. We'll let Sam explain what his research showed coming up here in a few minutes. Hour number two, the head basketball coach, Fred Hoiberg, did meet with the media today. We'll play you some of the clips from that press gathering. Also meeting with the media today was softball coach Rhonda Ravel. Their season gets underway in Florida this weekend as they start their season, all Big Ten games. Uh, they get going a week earlier than the baseball guys do, so Coach Ravel is going to join us in hour number two of the program. Third hour of the show, Amy Williams will be along for her weekly coaches show. She'll uh, be talking about what was a pretty good week for the Huskers. Back-to-back wins for the Big Red. And yesterday taking care of Penn State, kind of atoning for a loss to the Nittany Lions a few weeks back. But it was a very good week for her squad. They went to Chicago and beat Northwestern and then came home to knock off uh, the Penn State Nittany Lions. So we'll hear all about the women's program coming up in hour number three of the program. And if you want to be a part of the show, you can dot us up on our Sports Highly Hotline, which is brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. Uh, 531-546-86, the number to dot us up with a comment or question, or fire off a text if you have one of those. The... Um, I thought one of the, the cool things, Ben, for the weekend was Husker volleyball. We knew it was a giant weekend, top five matchup with Minnesota. Nebraska got punched in the nose Friday night by the Gophers, who beat them in four. Nebraska couldn't close out the third set, which would have given them a 2-1 lead in the match. And then the Gophers took took it and finished them off with, with set four. But the Huskers came back in a big way yesterday, sweeping the Gophers and, and getting a split of the two-match series over the weekend. What did you make of John Cook's squad in their first real test of this 2021 season? Yeah, I thought the the match on Friday was tough. You know, they they let one really slip away, uh, a set in which they, they should have won, and and then, um, you know, they, they weren't able to kind of rebound from that. Minnesota wins the last set, and that's, that's over with. Uh, really felt like if they won that third set, they were going to win the match. 
unfortunately, the the block for Minnesota was there, and um, they just had a hard time getting anything going consistently. But it was clear from the jump on Sunday that they were out for blood. I mean, really, that first set, they just you know came after Minnesota um, and made the adjustments necessary. Lexi's son took over, and they just buried Minnesota and and, and just flexed their muscles on them. And, and that was that was just so big for for a number of reasons. Number one, Minnesota was undefeated in the conference. They they beat you on Friday, and thinking, man, they they beat us again. They're walking out of here still undefeated, and they take two from us in our own building. Um, I think it was a message sending victory to the conference that you know Minnesota may have popped up and beat Nebraska, but we're still Nebraska, and you know we can we can turn it on and and take care of business against the best in the country. And that's absolutely what happened. I think Minnesota ended up with. I don't have the box score in front of me. I think four blocks, four anywhere from four to six blocks on Sunday, and they had twenty <laughs> on Friday. Yeah. Um, they just they just took care of business, and it was nice to see a, a lot of different contributors. But Lexi Sun really took over that match on Sunday, and um, like I said, I think it's a statement win that you know you might you might pop up pop up pop up and get us every once in a while, but we're still Nebraska. We're still able to compete for a conference title, even if you are undefeated, even if you are a top-five team. So much needed. Get the win. Uh, get some confidence under your belt. That that was the other conversation. It was Minnesota's by far the best team Nebraska had played all year, and, and they lost on Friday. Confidence could have been shaken, but they, they wrestle it back. And not only did they win, they dominated Minnesota on Sunday. So hopefully that confidence is still flowing in the locker room and you know these girls are, are feeling feeling good the next time they're on the floor. Sets up a huge weekend because now it's a trip to Madison to play the number one team in the country in the Wisconsin Badgers. And I'm, I'm looking at the Big Ten standings now. We're almost a month into this thing. And Wisconsin's 10-0. Ohio State's 9-0, but I don't think they've played any of the top teams yet in the league. Then you have the Gophers at 9-1, and and then Nebraska's at 7-1. and Those are your top four teams in the league. Interestingly enough, Penn State's down there at 4-3. and they did win both of their matches here this weekend, but they got swept in Minneapolis last weekend, lost a couple of dynamite matches to the Gophers. Uh, Huskers will match up with Penn State later in the year, but here we go. We knew this was going to be the stretch. Minnesota one week, Wisconsin the next. Uh, Friday, Saturday night matches for the Huskers and the Badgers. We'll have both of those for you here on the Husker Sports Network this weekend. I, I love the answer. I love the comeback. And there was some pressure. Not, not that it was a must-match I guess it would be a must-match if you want to win the league yesterday. Nebraska's going to make the NCAA tournament. That's that's not that's not a concern, but it was a must-match if you want to hang in there and give yourself a chance to win the league title. And now, now you've really got a, a big one coming up this week with the two matches with the Badgers, who are ranked number one. The latest coaches poll did come out today, and the loss Friday didn't hurt Nebraska at all. It didn't move anything. Nebraska's still ranked fourth in the country. Minnesota ranked fifth. They're really good. They didn't look like they had their legs yesterday. Some of the, the kills that they were getting Friday night, they just didn't seem like they had good as good elevation on their uh, on some of their some of their uh, front line people that they did Friday night. But again, full credit to John Cook and the Huskers because they did rally the troops and give a gave a big answer back uh, for that one. So looking forward to this weekend with Wisconsin, huge huge matchup. Badgers number one in the country, I think rightfully so, as I've, as I've seen a couple of matches of theirs. They look like the best team in the country to me right now, so it'll be a big challenge for the Oscars this weekend. 
Mention Amy Williams' squad, Ben. It was a really good week. They had a they had a bad stretch where they lost four straight, and then they had to go to Northwestern, who was ranked. Nebraska had beaten them earlier in the year at PBA, got that win in the midweek, very good win, and then they back it up with a, with a, getting some revenge against Penn State yesterday. Amy Williams' squad still has a shot at the NCAA tournament. I don't know that it's a great shot, but they have a shot, and they're going to need to continue this play. But I think she's done a heck of a job with this team this year. I mean, you lose Leah Brown in the offseason, who opts to hit that transfer portal and is gone and is at Michigan, and they're having a heck of a year. You, you know, you, Hannah Whitish graduates, so you're retooling. You've got some transfers that you're mixing into this thing. I think she's done a heck of a job with this basketball team. Yeah, she has. And, you know, you think about some of the, um, you know, situations that have had to happen for Nebraska to get to this point, you know, sort through the weeds, so to speak, um, done it the right way, built, built the team up the right way, have them believing in themselves and having a lot of different contributors. It, it's really to me, Greg, and, you know, as a, as a novice women's basketball enthusiast, it all kind of started with that that road swing in the Michigan states, you know, way back when, when Nebraska had a couple of really tough tests uh, with Michigan State and Michigan, and they go battle their tails off on back-to-back nights and kind of opened our eyes to what this team could do. And then, and then they followed that up with another week to two weeks of good performances, and you thought, this team this team might have something. And, and then, you know, the the stretch that – happened that you just talked about the the losing skid you wondered if they could pull it back and they were able to so a a lot of kudos to this team for taking that step you know running into the wall which most teams do in good conferences but then finding a way to to overcome that and and punch back and I think they've done a good job of that so I think they've shown a lot of good signs of teams that are showing progress so yeah I'm really optimistic and I think the coaches do deserve a lot of credit for the work that they've put in with this team this year. Yeah, sure have done a nice job. Again, Amy Williams will be with you in hour number three of the show tonight for her weekly shows to get your comments, questions ready for her. The women will take on Minnesota Golden Gophers up in Minneapolis on Wednesday night. Uh, that'll be at this very time, right, when we would start sports nightly. Buckle up and put the phone down. It's a reminder from the NDOT Highway Safety Office. The men also played over the weekend, battled Purdue, and you talk about a, a coach that I, I've just really admired for a long time, and that's Matt Painter at Purdue. I think he does an excellent job. Uh, they've had a pretty good run of Sweet 16 appearances. This was the year that they are reloading. They have a tremendous freshman class. Was kind of hoping that maybe they would not take Nebraska seriously and that the Huskers might be able to, to piece one together. But it was a tough day Saturday for the starters for Fred Hoiberg's club, Ben, and they just – they didn't see – Teddy Allen seemed off. Delano Banton seemed off. And, and Coach Hoiberg was not afraid to dig into that bench a little bit, and he found a little something with, with Thor, who played maybe his best game of the year. Shamil Stevenson made some shots. They just seemed to have a, a little bit of a, a – Ivan played, I think, by far his best game of the year for Nebraska. That kind of second group came in and gave the Huskers a real shot at this thing. They were only down by three at the half. Still, still a very close game at the ten-minute mark of the game, and then, and then it kind of got away from Nebraska late. But you know, you just kind of wonder this this frantic pace of games is it is it starting to catch up with these guys and their legs? You can tell the effort is there; they're trying as hard as they can. But 
Um, Purdue's a tough team to tangle with because they can beat you up inside. they got three-point shooters. They've got a lot to like with that Boilermaker team that Nebraska faced on Saturday. I, I, I just laugh because it wasn't that long ago, and I don't remember the year exactly, that Purdue had a bad year. And it was on the heels of them getting bounced in the first round by Arkansas Little Rock. Mm-hmm. And they wanted him gone. I mean, they wanted Matt Painter out. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, what, what are you doing? Um, he is a really good coach. And not only is he a good, reco- good coach, but uh, I don't know who it is on that staff that continues to find seven foot two and taller players. But they've had a seven footer on their team for like the last 15 years, I feel. And, and Travion Williams isn't seven feet, but he plays like it. Um, you know, Matt Harms, Isaac Haas, the, 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 just keep going down the list of guys that are just monstrous. And, the, you know, they've got a, a ton of freshmen. I think they, they're one of the youngest teams in the country, but they don't look it. And, and then that, that points to the coaching. And, yes, they've got some talented freshmen, but there are a lot of teams around the country that have a lot more talented freshmen than that. Um, so you got to get a lot of credit to Matt Painter, very impressed with what I saw uh, from them against Nebraska this weekend. And, look, Nebraska's bench played hard. They played well. But those guys are bench players for a reason. You're asking a heck of a lot of those guys to play that long and that well against a team like that to win a game. And, you know, give credit to Coach Hoiberg. He threw the guys out there that were hot and were making plays. But that's a tough ask for a bunch of role players and bench players to come in and beat a top-line Purdue team uh, after playing with them for nearly half the game. Tough ask, and you, eventually they needed their starters to come in and kind of wake up and say, all right, these guys kept us in the game. Now it's our time to take over and finish this thing. Unfortunately, it didn't happen that way, and it's disappointing, you know. And as you said, it was a close close game for a lot of the game. Purdue kind of threw the first punch. Nebraska had an answer. You know, they, they had a counterpunch, and they were, they were in the game um, you know, into halftime, and then in the second half had a nice little flurry there too. Purdue just kind of wrestled control of the game away. Then Stefanovic, when he hits the first one, you're thinking, oh, boy, that better not open the floodgates. And then I think he hits three more in the next three minutes. And you're like, yep, this is just, you know, it was bound to happen. And they just didn't have an answer. And so, unfortunately for Nebraska, it was another loss in the column. But, again, admirable effort from the bench. But tough ask to have those guys go out, play Purdue starters for 25, 30 minutes of that game. You know, they, they needed help elsewhere, and they just didn't get it. And I don't know if that's a sign of fatigue. I don't know, you know, where, where the disconnect was. But you got to just dust it off and keep going because the season's, you know, already winding down, and you're running out of opportunities to go compete and go play. So you just got to kind of shake it off and prepare for the next one. It's been a while since we've chatted with Sam McEwen of the Omaha World-Herald. You can also read Sam's work online at Omaha.com. Sam, great to have you with us. I don't know about you, but I was, I was in a better mood all day today. I mean, the sun was out. The uh, snow was starting to melt. Did you enjoy this one today? Yes. Uh, it's been the longest, uh, snowiest <laughs> winter of my lifetime. So I am ready. Hopefully there's no more snow. Um, not that I minded shoveling 14 times, but um, I love the weather today. You know, I'm an I'm a upper 40s. 50s lower 60s kind of guy like that's my weather uh if it could be that way every day i'd take it so today's weather minus the the muckiness of the, the snow is perfect for me well we're in the last week of february that means we got state basketball tournaments coming up the husker men's and women's regular seasons are winding down and 
you had a terrific piece today, a great read for the folks about Fred Hoiberg and uh, now about to finish year two at Nebraska. Will he have to do some evaluating of, of his systems and operating systems, which quite frankly haven't worked very well in the league to this point? Lay out the lay out your thought process when you put this together. What did you find out? Well, you know, it, it, it it's kind of born out of um, the idea that the Big Ten, first of all, is a really good league in basketball. In good, it's good football too. And I think part of what is going on within, uh, you know, the program for Fred is he had a system that worked at Iowa State. They, they didn't have the most talent in the Big Ten, the Big 12. That was probably Kansas. But I'd say Iowa, Iowa State probably had top three talent. I think at Nebraska, A, they don't have Iowa State's history or reputation or tradition. And B, I don't think the players right now are quite as good as what he had there. And so the, the, the reality is that Fred's system works best when they've got a lot of really unselfish, athletic guys who can shoot and and by shoot i mean make shots and the reality is one nebraska's never been very good at making shots in the big 10 and this is part of a story that we now have online for tomorrow uh, for for tuesday that people can read and it's sort of a companion piece to today's that shows that quite clearly nebraska's really struggled uh, to be one of the better shooting teams in the big 10 since joining the big 10 they only had one team the one with andrew white for people who remember him that was particularly good. Secondly, um, you know, if, if he doesn't have those things in his system, he's going to have to find a way to, to make some adjustments. And he already has to some degree. They've slowed down their, their pace a little bit. They're a little bit more defensive oriented. Last year they didn't do much on defense at all, and they, they only won one Big Ten game um, or two, I'm sorry. Uh, so he's already made some adjustments, but honestly, where he wants to take this, which is, which is going to the NCAA tournament and winning NCAA tournament games, where he wants to take this, they, they may be forced to make even more adjustments because at this particular moment, um, you know, he's 3-30 and 30 in Big Ten games, and that's, that's really not what anybody's looking for. So if he were, uh, let's say, 10 and 23 at this point, I think most people would be like, yeah, you know, this is – this is going to take time, and the Big Ten is historically good this year, as good maybe as any league ever. But they're three and thirty is not ten and twenty-three, and and I think right now they're struggling a little bit um, to to just win games, and they've lost a lot of games by double digits, and and even though there's glimpses, uh, it's not it's not clearly the product that he wants. How much do you think he? Obviously, he's trying to win games now, but how much do you think he's evaluating? all right, I think this player, player A can help us moving forward. Player B may not fit in what we want to do. How much do you think Ian is thinking about that as he goes through the last two weeks of this season? I think he's probably thinking about it a lot, Greg. Um, Here's the challenge. Uh, A lot of times when basketball coaches do this, they they want, especially if it's a good kid, they want to set these kids up with options going forward. They they don't just want to, you know, knock on a guy's door and say, all right, you're gone. Good luck. Um, they they want to help. And and I think one of the one of the challenges ahead of them is a lot of these guys are fourth and fifth year guys and they've already transferred once or twice. And so 
I, I think there's a distinct possibility that a lot of these guys are going to come back um, just because, A, they need to have something. They need to have some continuity. Some of these players have to come back. Certainly Trey McGowan's is coming back. I think Banton's coming back. Walker, you got to have a post in there with some experience. You're probably not picking up a double-double guy off the transfer wire based on your first two years in Nebraska. So Walker, I think, is important. Uh, I think Shamil Stevenson has played a lot better in the last two weeks. For a while there, it was a little concerning. Um, um, you know, you got to bring someone back. And then the other piece is when you've got guys that are kind of like, you know, right there on the whatever, uh, you got to make sure that they get set up somewhere else too because you're not trying to, you're not trying to end, you know, a, a guy's career or whatever you want to call it. And so Kevin Cross, for example, is a guy they they just they kind of moved on from after his freshman season. Uh, he's exactly the same player, by the way, at Tulane. He doesn't make any shots; it takes a lot of them. Um, but you know, they they I think there, there's a sense, hey, let's make sure this guy lands somewhere. Well, it's harder when guys are fourth and fifth year guys. So, yeah, I think they have to make assessments at the same time. Um, I, I I think hitting the reset button for another year is just is just not where they want to go. I think they have to retain 55, 60, 65% of this roster. And I think you'll see a lot of these guys come back. So I think maybe the evaluation is more about where can these guys get better in the off season versus how many of these guys are returning. Again, visiting with Sam McEwen of the Omaha world Herald. You can read his work online as well at omaha.com. Your piece weaved into that, that Fred Hoiberg and even to a certain degree, Scott Frost wouldn't be, the first head coaches to enter the Big Ten and then have to tweak what they do because what they have done in the past doesn't necessarily work at this level because it is the highest level that there is in the country. That was interesting. And, and, and there are some parallels, aren't there, between coaches Frost and Hoiberg? There's parallels in, in their vision for for their offenses. So at the, at the very height, when they're running full octane, Scott Frost and Fred Hoiberg run offenses that are not only very – beautiful to watch and i use that word honestly like it's gorgeous when frost offense really works well um but they're but they're on the cutting edge in other words uh they're they're the kind of offenses that beat really good defenses um and i'm not believe me when i say this i am not trying to say anything negative about the teams that have beaten nebraska consistently in football but there is a ceiling on the two tight end pro style offenses that some other big 10 teams run when you don't have Alabama's talent. And Alabama can do that stuff. It's harder for other teams to do it to beat the very best team. That's why Wisconsin hasn't beaten Ohio State for a decade. Uh, they just don't have enough good players to run that sort of pro-style offense. The offense that Nebraska runs, if they have all the pieces, is good enough to beat really good defenses. I think the question, I think the challenge has been for Frost, just having all the pieces. And some of it is you need really elite skill receivers, but they also need to get your offense. And I think the one challenge that Frost has had, and he's, he's alluded to this, so this isn't something I'm offering up new, is can the receivers that they recruit be able to run four or five, six plays in a row in that no-huddle scheme without having to come off the field or without missing assignments? And I think they've had, they've had some challenges there finding those guys. And I also think that the talent in the Big Ten is not only better than it was in the AAC or the Pac-12, 
but it's the talent on defense and the, and the quality of coaches that you face on defense is significantly better. And, and, and so I think they've run into some hiccups there. Uh, now, that said, I think you've seen Frost make some subtle adjustments, and I think they're, they're going to be making more adjustments. And for what it's worth, they're going – the players that are available in this region happen to dovetail with where I think college offenses are going, and that's more using these big, athletic, adjustable tight ends who can play in line, they can play outside, they can run short routes, they can run long routes. And I just happen to think that Nebraska's caught something good here with guys like Austin Allen and Travis Vokalek and Thomas, Thomas Bedoni and uh, some of these guys. I think they're going to actually benefit. Um, and I think you've, you saw last year Frost offense incorporated more of the, that tight end play and a little bit less of let's send guys you know, on go routes and see if we can beat people. Um, and I thought as the season went on, it got better. And I think you're going to see that offense round more into shape. It may not be 45 points a game and throwing the ball, you know, 45 yards in the air to, to receivers running, you know, post routes. But I think it could be retrofitted to the Big Ten in a way that makes it efficient. And and I think I think Frost is moving in that direction. And I think Matt Lubick has has helped in that. So. I think Frost is actually making the adjustments, and I'm not trying to be falsely optimistic. I do think they're getting there. And one of the reasons that you hear his optimism in some of the interviews is because I think he feels like they're getting closer to Again, busy with Sam McEwen of the Omaha World Herald. We'll let you go with this, Sam. What do you make of, of the, the shuffle with Ron Brown from a player development role to now an offensive analyst? Well, Ron is one of the most accomplished uh assistants in Nebraska history and he always played uh, all of coach Osborne's assistants always played important roles in shaping the plan week after week Osborne called the plays, right and when he you know obviously when he retired he gave it to coach Solich and then Solich called the plays but but there was I think a collegiality on that on matching staff whether it was Milt or it was Ron Brown or it was Solich or it was, you know, um, whomever, uh, that, that it was pretty collaborative. And so with Ron moving into that role, it's kind of like it's kind of like putting a football library in that setting. You know, Ron's coached every skill position, I think, on offense with the exception of quarterback, and they have plenty of quarterback coaches. Uh, so, you know, I think it's going to help him. Uh, Ron was always pretty innovative in his drills. He always found a way to get his players – whether they were receivers, tight ends, or running backs, to play physically and to handle physical contact. And so I think Ron will help there. I think schematically he's going to help them. Um, there's a lot of different things that he can do, and I think maybe he was doing one or two of those things prior to the shift. Um, you know, I think I, I'm sure that Frost asked Ron Brown a couple of times what he thought about something. Uh, so I think it's a better fit for him, and then I think – the, the guy they have coming into the player development role is uh, a guy that knows Frost, um, and, and I think that's good. I, I think it's, you know, uh, it's, it's a guy, it's a younger guy who kind of worked with Frost at UCF, then went to Arizona State. And Arizona State, you know, they, they got good guys there too. Herm Edwards is a good guy. So 
I think I think that that's a it's just positive all around. Every every addition or shift that they've made there is good. Very good, Sam. We appreciate it. Good stuff as always. And uh, folks, go read that uh, the piece about the Hoiberg offense. It's really good at Omaha.com. Sam, we appreciate it. Thank you. You bet. Take care. Well, the head basketball coach did meet with the media today. and We talked about an hour one how Saturday in the Purdue game, the Oscars had their most success when they had some bench players in the game. Thor played really well. Shamil Stevenson was out there. Ivan played a really good basketball game for the Cornhuskers. Kobe Webster knocked down some shots. The head coach was asked if he's going to make any changes to his starting lineup. Uh, as of right now, we'll, we'll start the same way going into the next one. And, you know, as I said after the game the other night, for the most part, our starters have gotten, off, gotten us off to good starts. And, you know, the last game, obviously, that was not the case. And we made changes right away, and, and the bench went out, and I thought was uh, was phenomenal. And, you know, some of that may be due to a little bit of the fatigue that we have going on with our team right now. Uh, but, you know, that bench, I thought, deserved to start in the second half of that game and, and played really good basketball all the way through. So, you know, our, our guys, you know, understand the importance of getting off to good starts. It's, it's a huge factor uh, if you're going to be in the game late or not. But our bench saved us and gave us an opportunity the other night. And then, you know, when I look down the stretch at, at the execution, you know, even though we had the drought, I thought we had some really good looks. And, you know, unfortunately, we just didn't knock down shots that I thought actually might have been better looks uh, than the ones we were knocking down in the first half and two of our you know guys that we feel really good about shooting shots um you know had great looks at the basket they just unfortunately uh didn't go in and then Purdue started making everything and you know that's when they really extended their league but you know talk to our guys about not getting deflated continuing to go out uh you know we've had some really good stretches of basketball we had some really good things that happened the other night uh unfortunately when it mattered most they uh they made the plays you surprised? I was a little surprised, man, when I the second half started and you, you look out there and you see who's on the floor. But I say, good for him. Go with the guys that, that earned those minutes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you see the same in the NBA, you know, a certain degree, too. You know, you've got your – oftentimes you're starting five, but, you know, there are a lot of teams that whoever closes the game are the ones who play well. And, you know, why not, why not stick with that? And, again, you know, the fatigue factor could have – potentially set in but um you know i think that these coaches they know their team and they know they know who's going to be out there and who's going to help them so yeah absolutely i was for it and you know those guys played well for for a lot of the time that they were in there sure did bigger picture thing next year the coach was asked if he's had a chance to really fully evaluate this team now that they're two-thirds of the way through the season well, you know, I, I hope so, Sam. You know, a lot of teams have had similar things that happen to us. I don't know if they've been quite to the extreme that we had. I don't think anybody has been put in a position where, uh, you know, basically their whole rotation uh, got shut down and got the virus in the middle of the season and then had their bodies deconditioned like we did. Uh, you know, Michigan had a long shutdown, you know, but I don't think they had any positive cases in that time and you know obviously had a little bit more time to prepare uh, than we did as far as the stretch that we played but you know it, it's something where uh, you know sam it, it just one of those years where it is what it is and you just got to make do the best you can with this with the with the hand you're dealt and you know we're going to continue to go out there and, and battle and fight and i again i i've given my guys credit all year long for going out there and 
you know, I think of 10 of the 15 losses, we've had the game within seven points with under 10 minutes to go. You know, we've, we've had most games where we've been competitive, been right there, and unfortunately, we just have not been able to close it. And some of that may have to do with the things that have happened to our team this year. But, you know, we still have however many games we're going to have left, uh, whether that's six, seven, eight, and we're going to go down swinging and we're going to keep fighting and keep battling. We got a tough stretch coming up with four and eight, uh, starting with tomorrow's game. I thought Penn State was phenomenal yesterday against Iowa. Uh, I really thought they battled them. It's what they do. It's, you know, the effort that they play with. Uh, you know, looking back at the first time we played them, you know, we had 32 really good minutes of basketball and found a way to continue to defend when we were having our struggles on the offensive end of the floor. And that's what allowed us to, you know, to get the win you know, at, uh, at, at their place. But, you know, we know they're going to come in and battle and fight. And, you know, they've, Jim Ferry's done a terrific job with this group, continuing to get them to go out and compete. So, you know, it's going to be a game, you know, for our guys. We're not, we don't have much time to, uh, you know, get out on the floor and correct. We had yesterday off. Today, you know, we did get them up and down a little bit. But, you know, you can tell there still is some fatigue. And I got to find a way to keep them fresh where they have legs. Uh, on the floor in those 40 minutes. But, you know, it's going to take a full effort from everybody. Last game, as I said, our bench, I thought Trey was really good, um, you know, but our bench was the ones that uh, that gave us a chance. Interesting number that he threw out there, Ben, and the 15 losses, 10 of them they've had, they've been within seven points with less than 10 minutes to go. Really, the only game that kind of got out of hand was the Ohio State game, and that seems like eons ago. But this team has been really competitive in a year that I think most people would tell you is the best year that's ever been that's ever happened in this league. Yeah, yeah, it's there's been a lot of games like that where you know there's just been a bad run right at the end of the game that the other teams won on that there's just not enough time to come from behind. So yeah, it's it's been a strange season in that regard. But I, I agree with coach. You got to give these guys just a ton of credit for their ability to come out and just just keep swinging, just keep fighting and. You know, now now you're of the mindset as a coach where you tell your team, look, guys, we only got a few of these opportunities and games left. Let's go make the best of it. And, um, you know, let's let's just see what we can get out of the, the remaining the remainder of this year and head into the offseason and uh, and focus on what we need to get better at. But these guys have had a heck of a long time to get this season started. And, you know, I don't think they're ready to to just turn the page to another offseason just yet. Buckle up and put the phone down. That's a reminder from the NDOT Highway Safety Office. You use the word mindset. How about the mindset for the Huskers? They're playing a team tomorrow that they beat a week ago on the road. What will the mindset be like for this team going into that one tomorrow? Well, it's we, we watched an edit on, this, on it this morning, some of the things that we did well <clears throat> excuse me, throughout the course of that game, especially early, and then some of the things that we struggled with late and some of the things that they did uh, defensively to us that they switched up from what they did in the first half and how we're going to counter that uh, this time when we go out and play them. And, and obviously they'll do the same. It's what you do when you play the same team in a, in a short span, time span like we are with this one. And, uh, you know, again, they've got a lot of things. They'll play some zone. They've got their 1-2-2 press. Uh, you know, it's about going out and attacking it. And when we don't get it, uh, you know, the flow that we're going to have once we get the ball into the front court. But, you know, it's it, the biggest thing for us, Kevin, we just got to come out and play with great effort. When we do that, we've given ourselves a chance. And again, when you look at the numbers of where we've been uh, under 10 minutes in all these games, 
you know, a lot of that's because of how hard that we've played. And, you know, again, we have not finished games uh, the way we need to uh, this year. And again, some of that's the circumstances that we've had uh, with what we've dealt with. But, you know, that's when we got to find a way to continue to execute all the way through uh, to the final horn, which, you know, again, we defended maybe as well as we did all year in those last 10 minutes against Penn State. The effort, consistency, Illinois was as good as it's been all year. Indiana, before the shutdown, you know, may have been our most complete uh, offensive game from start to finish. Uh, you know, but yeah, it'd be nice to get a little, uh, you know, rhythm, momentum, the 40 minutes that I talk about all the time, the consistency of where we are and what we're trying to accomplish. Uh, it's got to be better. And, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll get that uh, effort tomorrow, that 40 minute consistent effort from our guys. Talking about effort, I think it shows up the most, Ben, on the defensive end of the floor. And this team has been really good. You can see how hard they're playing. And now Sasha got hot the other night for Purdue. He buried four threes in the last 10 minutes, and that helped open the game up a little bit. But that's what makes Purdue so difficult to defend is because they've got those bigs inside that you got to be aware, leery of. But then if they're hitting their outside shots, they're just a load to beat. But I, I think for the most part, defensively, and this, this is a tribute, I think, to Doc, they're playing really well on that side of the ball, that end of the court, I should say. Yeah, yeah, they they are, and and that's the thing about defense—you got to buy in. It can't be just something you luck into, or you know, it just kind of happens every once in a while. You, you, it it takes tremendous effort to play defense, and it takes buy-in, it takes want to, it takes desire, it takes all those things to expend energy. It's not hard to watch a basketball game, college or NBA and see what teams are willing to spend that energy on the defensive end of the floor and which ones aren't. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are a lot of teams out there more so in college than in the NBA, unless you're a New York Knicks fan and watch Tom Thibodeau play, that, you know, there aren't very many teams that are dedicated to having their defense win them games, especially at the next level. The Knicks are one of the few teams that are, but that that they pride themselves on their defense. And it's kind of, uh, you know, it's you know you see you know Bob Huggins you see a lot of teams that win a lot of games by doing that um, and you know you it's I understand the different philosophies about it and you know why, why you would want to go offense and defense and what makes this that and the other but um, that's one thing that I continue to be impressed with is the defensive effort on this team but again even this team you can see Greg when especially when their legs are tired when their defense just doesn't look the same. Six o'clock tip tomorrow night, five o'clock for pregame coverage. Game is at PBA. Huskers have not had to travel for a few days. That has to be nice for this team. They will later in the week when they go to Illinois to play on Thursday night. So six o'clock tip, five o'clock for pregame coverage with Kemp Pavelka and Jake Muehlheisen. Happy to welcome in our next guest of the night, Nebraska softball coach Rhonda Ravel. Husker softball opening their season on Friday down in the Sunshine State of Florida. Coach, first of all, thanks for joining us. It's been a long time since we've chatted. Nice to hear from you, but let's just start first with how you're doing. How did you make it through 2020? Well, we 355 days without softball is how we made it through, but, but very hopeful that we would have it again, and here we are uh, just a few days out. So it's great. Um, you know, I think really what has helped – myself and our team as we've really focused on what we can do versus what we can't, what we do have versus what we lost. Uh, and I just think that's helped our mindset. Now, don't get me wrong. There, there was obviously a lot of disappointment. I've 
use the word grieving. Uh, I think oh, yeah. that when you care about something so deeply and you don't have it, you do grieve it. And we, I feel like we all took our time to do it in our own way. But um, it wasn't it wasn't long after that then that we kind of got back at it and said, okay, wh- how can we use this time and how can we keep moving forward? So really proud of our team for doing that. Yeah, Coach, there's a lot to dissect, really, before we start to, to get into where we are right now. And, and let's just start with, with you as a coach. I, I've talked with a number of your colleagues that are, that are coaches just about how to handle this. As a coach, it's a difficult situation because not only are you processing it as a human individual, but you're responsible for a lot of young people that are looking at you for guidance when you didn't have a lot of answers. Where did you perhaps grow the most as a coach and as a person when you've got a locker room and a clubhouse full of players looking at you for help and, and you weren't quite sure what to tell them? Well, I think that's the first and foremost is that you just admit that you don't have all the answers and sometimes things happen in life that there isn't a clear path and that you you feel it's perfectly fine to feel any emotion that you're feeling at this point. And I think just trying to normalize that, normalize that you can be angry, normalize that you can be sad, normalize that you can be, you know, feel anxious about what's in front of us. And I think that was the first step, not only for myself, but for messaging with our team. And then I, the second step is really trying to lean into people that can help you process some of those because, you know, yes, we've had physical changes, of course, but it's really the mental emotional that we've Mm -hmm. all had to deal with so much during this time. And, you know, we leaned into our sports psychologists and I leaned into colleagues that were going through the same thing with their programs. And I, you know, those resources and those circles were, have been critical during this time. Absolutely. Well, how has your team handled this? There are a lot of changes for your young people as well, and, and for your upperclassmen, maybe you know a fair amount of expectation and leadership falls on their shoulders. But you have a lot of freshmen that are learning about what college is like as it is. That's a hard enough adjustment on a regular year, let alone through a pandemic. How has your team just gotten by day by day with not only the everyday changes of their lifestyle, but then having to, to throw school and, and, by the way, Division One softball on top of it? Right. Well, I'm going to go back to the fall and all the things that we couldn't do for a while, like we couldn't access our facilities, we couldn't get into our hitting facility, we couldn't practice as a team. And yet once it started to open up, and I'll, I'll go back to saying let's focus on what we can do versus what we couldn't, like once we were able to do something, like just anything, we made it a big deal. And then we were able to do something else and then something else. And so we just kept celebrating these small things. And at least from my perspective, yes, we knew we were still without normalcy, but we felt like there were things being added back in. So you would celebrate that. And then you get into the fall and we're not going to be able to play another opponent, but we came up with this really aggressive and energetic six game inter squad and every every week we drafted new teams and the point leaders from each week got to be the you know draft their own team so we made it fun and but yet very competitive and you know so we get through that and then we have a longer break than ever because you know the university closed right after christmas or right after thanksgiving and so then that's very different like we're without contact you know, for a very long period of time, um, 
and then you're going to come back and, and try to get ready to compete and then not have a preseason. And so I'm going to tell you, like our freshmen, we have eight of them. They're probably as worried about their packing list, Ben, <laughs> and making sure they have all the right uniforms as they are the competition itself because we didn't get any dry run in the fall by even going over to Iowa State or something. <laughs> Yeah, right. And I know that's a, that's a very important time. We'll get to that in a second. But you mentioned celebrate small victories. You got to celebrate a pretty large victory, and that being Tristan Edwards coming back for another season. Coach, I was lucky enough to be around the team when her sisters were a part of the program with Tatum and Taylor. And I know that family's meant a lot to Nebraska softball. What did it feel like to have her so willing to come back for another season and not only you know continue a great legacy of what the Edwards sisters have built here, but also help these eight freshmen and, and help them learn what Nebraska softball is all about? Well, you just, you just said it right there. The, the biggest um, personal victory was that she couldn't say yes fast enough, that she wanted to be a Nebraska softball player another year. And, you know, it, it didn't take her any time to make the decision. And the thing that with Tristan, she, she and I have talked a lot. I mean, she feels like she has unfinished business on the field, but she also feels like that she has still things to do in the clubhouse. We, were, we worked really hard to, you know, rebuild our culture and have it at a place. I'll use her words. Um, I just heard her say these to have this culture be something that's sustainable and positive and, you know, moving, moving on, not just this year, but beyond this year for the people that put on the Jersey after her, after her. So it's been wonderful. I'll tell you what the freshmen, um, they, I, I always call it, I always say, it's like you have this litter of pups and they just follow her around. I mean, they, <laughs> they really admire her and rightfully so. Coach, this is probably a more appropriate question for after she's done playing. But, you know, given the fact that we've had, what, 355 days to kind of reflect on things, have you thought about at all what, what the Edwards family has meant to you and to this program, seeing, you know, what Tatum's doing with her coaching and Taylor obviously, you know, playing at the highest level that there is and Tristan being preseason Big Ten Player of the Year and just, just what they've meant to this program over the last, what, six, seven, eight years? Yeah, I haven't gone down that road yet, Ben, so uh, give me a few more months. But I, I will tell you this. Um, when I think of the Edwards sisters, obviously you think about what they do on the field. But if anybody spent time around them, they understand that equally, and if not more, they are unbelievable teammates, and they're unbelievable team players, and they re raise the level of those around them. And um, that's that's really a huge part of their legacy. And, you know, we just have been doing some team Zooms with our former College World Series teams, and the most recent being that 2013 group. And a lot of their teammates, that's what they talked about the twins regarding. And, that, and then, then you hear today's team, and that's what they say about Tristan. And I will say this, and these are kind of fighting words, but, you know, we kind of tease the twins that Tristan's the best hitter of all of them, right? <laughs> so so I'll, I'll just leave that one right there, and then they can sort through that. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that, that'll lead to a good Thanksgiving conversation at some point mm -hmm. in the future. Mm -hmm. Coach, 
Coach, let's talk about the fall. I know, and, and the non-con specifically, I guess these kind of bleed together. I know being around the ball bat sports for as long as I have, how important that time in as a coach, especially when you have newcomers, to just throw them in there and see what they can do and not a lot of consequences, if, the, if that's the right word, uh, of it being a, of an important game of a conference game or, or, the, or the like. But what are the challenges now of, of not having that time or trying a new player out a new position, maybe try a different you know, philosophy with the hitting or whatever, whatever it may be that you might got to tinker with that you don't really have that opportunity now? Right. Um, you're right, Ben. That, so what we've tried to do is backward map and say how much can we – try to get to some of that within our practices and you know you can't replicate it there's there's no way but I feel like we've got we've gotten closer than we would have had we not been intentional about it so you know I mentioned the six scrimmages that we had in the fall well we also every day in practice whether it was a fifth the last 15 minutes or it could have been anywhere from an hour and a half if we did a scrimmage midweek that wasn't our you know red white series uh but we had competition every day. So we just kept lathering on the competing, you know, the scorekeeping, the, the things that go on when the scoreboard comes on that you can't replicate sometimes just in practice. So we just tried to keep coming with that. And then as we've been in January and now uh, in February, we're doing that, continuing to do that on a different level because we haven't been able to practice on the field but you know where we're doing more we've done more live at bats hitters versus pitchers than we ever have and so let me give an example just since we started practice on january 19th our our staff our hitters have anywhere from 25 to 35 live division one plate appearances heading into the season and you know you you know what that means you know that speaks volumes yeah, it's significant. There's no, there's no question about it. Um, the other part to this that's been interesting to follow, and again, from a baseball standpoint as well, has been the schedule. And I know, again, control what you can control, but I'm sure you had players asking you, and you were kind of wondering yourself, what was that process like of just kind of waiting to find out where you were going to go, who you were going to play from a scouting standpoint, what that meant, um, that, that just unknown, unknown of, of what your schedule, what was going to be in front of you? Mm-hmm. We had a little bit of a lead uh, that we were going to play a conference only. So, you know, I shared the information with our players, and I can't remember exactly when that was. So we didn't have a schedule, but we knew it was going to be conference only, and we had a good idea that if it moved its way through the process that it would be a four-game series when we get on our campuses and trying to get two neutral sites with six games in that weekend. So we, we kind of had the bare bones of it. And um, I think that that really helped just start to get our mind around, you know, the mechanics and the rhythm of the season. So that was helpful. Um, you know, not knowing your, not knowing your uh, opponents is really more from the coaches and our video guy than really mm-hmm. the players because they, yeah. they don't think too far in advance about their opponent. Yeah. Obviously heading down to Florida this week to open the season, Coach, what's, what's the, the excitement level that you have? You've been around coaching for a few seasons now, what, what's what's the feeling now heading into game week and how, how maybe appreciative you are of it, but m- maybe more likely how ready you are to get back on the diamond again and play some ball? You know, that's the thing. I think I'm probably more calm um, and ready to get back on the field. I think 
I don't know that there's anything else that we could have done given the circumstances to be prepared to go into a season. I feel like we've tried to turn over every stone and look under every rock, and now it's just time to play. I, I'm really proud of the way that the upperclassmen have integrated the freshmen, and I'm really proud of the way the freshmen have taken to it and worked and really tried to make sure that their their work level standard, and you know, as people come from high school to college, they a lot of times have to learn that the work standard is different, and they've, they've really um, embraced that. So I, yes, of course I'm excited, but it's a calm excited. And maybe the reason the coach is having a calm excited is because I know the adrenaline of our players is through the roof. And as you know, Ben, in a bat ball sport where there's that finesse stuff, you kind of have to bring the adrenaline down. So I think I'm trying to ride in the middle to help bring them down a little bit because that's the, in our coaches meeting, that was the big, one of the biggest conversation points is like, okay, we have to help them regulate uh, their adrenaline. That's, that's one of, on opening day. That's one of our biggest goals is help them yeah. regulate their adrenaline. Yeah, and, and uh, not like I'm in any position to give you advice, but all I can say is good luck. You know, you get those those players in a uniform in the sunshine, and like like it's really all you could say is good luck getting them to, to slow down. I, I don't know that you know that, that there's anybody out there that has that power to slow slow those girls down when uh, when it's go time. Let, let let me give you an example. Courtney Wallace is pitching yesterday, and so we've got the radar on her. And, and Courtney Courtney throws her fast stuff is 66 to 68, right? And her off speed, which she's been working really hard on, is right around 55. So it's about a 13, 13 mile an hour difference, which is really nice. So yesterday, she's going live against our hitters, and one of our hitters hits her changeup pretty hard. And the kid comes up to Courtney and says, What did you throw me? And Courtney goes, uh, I threw you a changeup, but it was 61 miles an hour because my adrenaline's so high. I love that. Back to, oh, back to that adrenaline. So her adrenaline put about six or seven miles an hour on her changeup. If only there was a way to add six or seven mile an hour on the straight stuff, too, then it could still be just as effective. Um, Coach, we, right? we, we, we talked about Tristan, and, and rightfully so, but let's talk about, before we let you go here, who, who are you excited to watch? I mean, I, you mentioned the, the competitiveness, and it's probably not, not an entirely fair question. Probably excited to see everybody play, but who, who should Husker fans that are maybe unfamiliar with your team that are looking for something to watch this weekend uh, that, that we might be surprised by? Well, I don't know if you'll be surprised if you're familiar with high school softball in Nebraska, but it was very evident uh, day one of practice that Billy Andrews is a very special athlete. And, and we knew it beforehand, but it's different when you get, get on the field and get to coach them. So Billy Andrews will be our starting shortstop. Uh, she's a freshman from Gretna and um, really excited about her. She's, a, she's not only a really good athlete, but she's a really a high IQ player as well and uh, she's just got a wonderful motor and you know probably the biggest thing Billy's gonna have to work on she's just hard on herself but you know you'd rather have that kid that's kind of hard on themselves and help help them bring it back a little bit than the ones that you have to sort of prod along uh, I think Cam Yabara, our second baseman was off to a pretty solid red heart start last year uh, Husker fans have not had a chance to see her that much. It was her first season with us as she transferred in from Oregon State. So uh, I think that's an, another person to look for. And then I think, you know, with I mentioned Courtney Wallace and I think Olivia Farrell, too. Those two pitchers 
have made some really nice strides uh, this fall and winter, and I'm looking forward to really seeing what they're going to do in the circle for us. Yeah, we can't wait as well. Coach Ravel, thanks so much for uh, jumping on and giving us a few minutes. It's been a long time since we've chatted. We can't wait to sit back and see what Husker softball has in store for us here in 2021. We'll definitely be following along this weekend. Best of luck and, and go get some sunshine down there and get away from this weather for a while. We appreciate it. Thanks, Ben. Looking forward to it. Tonight, it's the Nebraska Women's Basketball Show right here on the Husker Sports Network. One dribble, throws down low. Pass for Kane, out to the top of the key. Is he Ford for three? You betcha! Nebraska has the lead! Is he hits a triple? Our weekly look inside Husker Women's Basketball. Throws to a back cutting, Sam Hyde. It closed up, and it counts, and a foul! Highlight, real finish! Sam Hyde flying away from the rim and falling down, threw it up, and it went in. Are you kidding me? With the head coach, Amy Williams. Throws it out top. Sam Hyde, can she hit the three? You! Betcha! Sammy knocks down her 4-3. That's a career high. Sponsored in part by your Midwest Ford dealers. Visit online at yourmidwestforddealers.com. Now here's your host, Matt Coatney. Welcome to the Nebraska Women's Basketball Radio Show. We've got the full hour with one of the most popular people in town, Amy Williams, and we'll take your calls at 531-500-4686. It's also our U.S. Cellular text line. Big Red has won two games in a row. They've got the Conference Player of the Week, but what I want to tell Amy Williams is whenever I go to Minneapolis this time of year for basketball, Usually I have to take my biggest piece of luggage because I take half my closet because it's about layers when you go to Minneapolis. Layers, right? But good news for you, you can eliminate half of your luggage because for the first time in my memory during basketball season, Minneapolis has rain in their forecast for when you get there tomorrow night. 38 with rain. Have you ever been to Minneapolis in basketball season with rain? You've been there a lot, I, I know. I know. I can't remember a time. I can't remember a time where it was rain. So um, that, that will be welcomed for sure. Yeah. Now, I'm just letting you know how to pack. I mean, usually, I mean, it's pretty clear that of the two of us on this broadcast, you're the one who's the fashionista. So I hate telling you how to pack. <laughs> But, uh, hey, congratulations on what your team's been doing. Uh, Two big wins, one over a ranked Northwestern team to sweep the series last Wednesday night, and then uh, a very, very solid win over a good Penn State team yesterday. And I want to thank you for recruiting Izzy Bourne. Uh, I don't know if I'm wanted in Cook County, Illinois on charges because I pretty much threatened the Big Ten yesterday if <laughs> Izzy wasn't announced as the Big Ten player of the of the week today. I, I said on air yesterday they don't even need to send out a press release because I'm announcing it right now. What? Uh, just a great two games. I know you're, you're more about the team than anything, but you got to be pretty happy to see Izzy getting some recognition for what she's been doing lately. Well, yeah, I'm I'm thrilled for the, you know, recognition for her and just, you know, well-deserved. I think the thing that makes it so sweet is that, um, you know, Izzy is such a, 
you know, team player and um, would trade any individual accolades for a couple of wins like that. And, and so um, that's kind of what makes it even more sweet for her. But I just think, you know, what, what uh, great performances she's had. She's really um, anchored us and, and carried us in a lot of different facets, but um, provided that, you know, spark just showing a lot of confidence but uh, I just thought her leadership has been great. She's really uh, just been a calming presence out there and, and, you know, gathering our team together through good times, through hard times. And, uh, you know, you can listen to the way she talks about her team and her teammates about how much she, um, she loves and values uh, the team and the culture and um, puts that first and just such a special um, individual you know, not just talented player who's worked really hard to try to polish up some things and, and uh, you know, just become more consistent presence for our team, but also just the off-the-court stuff she brings to the table as well. Yesterday, a win over Penn State, 87-72, a win at number 24 Northwestern, 71-64 Wednesday, and then Minnesota coming up. Uh, at the barn, the Williams Arena in Minneapolis on Wednesday night. If you'd like to talk to Coach Williams, the number is 531-500-4686. It's also our U.S. Cellular text line brought to you by U.S. Cellular. Proud to be the official wireless sponsor of the Huskers, U.S. Cellular connecting Husker Nation. I've just been mesmerized by Izzy's play the last couple of games. 21 points and a career-high 17 rebounds at Northwestern. And then yesterday... She tied her career high in points with 22, and she also had 11 rebounds. And she's doing this with Bella Cravens out, and she's doing it with a look of confidence and a look of determination. Now, she said in her post-game press conference that she prefers playing the four, but she's gotten used to playing the three. I think you're just happy to have her out there at this point, aren't you? Well, absolutely. I think that, you know, she uh, showed incredible adjustments when we had to, um, out of necessity and injury, you know, slide her over to play the bulk of her minutes at the three. And I thought she adjusted very rapidly and figuring out how she could use her strength in that position to continue to be effective. And just about right when she started to really get comfortable, I thought one of her best games at Michigan State on the road played incredibly well. And in the last moment of that game, went down with a pretty severe ankle sprain herself and then had to miss three weeks. And so, um, you know, I just think coming off of that injury, just regaining her um, her lift and her, you know, just getting her legs back under her, but also, um, you know, having to now kind of slide back and, and forth. But I think from where I stand, um, just having the experience that she has and the willingness on her part to just um, whatever this team needs her to do, that's what she'll do and she's going to try to excel uh, to the best of her ability and help our team win with whatever she's being asked um, to do. And I think that attitude is very comforting as a head coach. Um, and, and I think the rest of her teammates you know, feel confident in whatever role she's having to play for us. It just seemed like against Northwestern that any time any of the Northwestern players got past that you know, first block coming down the lane, and it cleared out, there was Izzy, just, nope, you're not getting any farther. She had a minimum of 17 defensive stops against Northwestern, which was incredible. Then you take a look yesterday, 
and how you were playing her offensively, and it seemed like she got matched up against Maddie Burke many times on the low block. And Maddie Burke's having an incredible freshman season offensively. I mean, you know, she's one of the best shooters, not only in the Big Ten, but obviously in the nation, the way she's been hitting shots. But defensively, that was no match. And eight fouls drawn was the official statistic on what Izzy was doing. So, you know, she's doing it offensively. She's doing it defensively. As a freshman, you know, my thought was, you know, Izzy might be somebody who might be able to give you 11 to 12 points a night, eight rebounds, but, you know, is is more of a defensive player. And now I'm looking at her and I'm like, well, I don't know what she can't do. You know, I mean, her game has grown so much. What what has caused this this look of determination and confidence and leadership and posting up and you know taking charges and clearing the glass? What's what's the difference here? Yeah, uh, you know, I think honestly, Matt, like we've always really known that she had those capabilities, and um, but I think this year stepping into the role of team captain and really it's given her an ownership um, that I think, you know, she needs to kind of take control of some things and, and step up for her team. And, and I think that um, that ownership and that role as team captain has just kind of given her um, just a little more empowerment um, out on the, on the, on the basketball court. It's kind of made her feel like, okay, I can do this and I can step up that coupled with just an incredible work ethic. I mean, she's spent a lot of time uh, working with, with, uh, you know, her position coaches and Coach Love in specific with um, player development about, you know, working on consistency with her shot and, and um, trying to get better in a lot of different areas. And um, and it's paying off and it's it's showing and I'm, I'm thrilled to see that for her and for our team. You know, well, absolutely. Um, and if you'd like to visit with Amy Williams, the number is 531 500 That's the Sports Nightly Hotline. It's brought to you by Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. So, you know, we, we talked a little bit about, you know, Izzy was just getting comfortable at that three position when she had the ankle injury against Michigan State. You know, when you move Bella Cravens into that starting lineup early in the season, uh, I really thought the team rebounding got a lot better because Bella just is like a, a vacuum getting rebounds. But now Bella's missed a couple of games. Did you have to have any specific conversations with Izzy about, look, you're going to be back inside now, you've got to get more rebounds, or is that just something that's come naturally with her play the last couple of games? No, you know, I really didn't have any specific conversations with Izzy about that. I think that, you know, um, when Bella was into moved into our starting lineup and Izzy was there as well for a, a good chunk of that until she got injured. And at times when we were having some really good rebounding games and um, finishing defensive possessions with rebounds and beating, you know, Rutgers and Ohio State and really having some success there, I had Bella and Izzy and Kate Kane all at the court on the court at the same time quite a bit in that. And that's um, some, mm-hmm. some really good re- rebounders in that lineup. And, and so I thought it paid off, but um, I didn't specifically talk to Izzy about her need to, but we talked to our entire team that when Bella 
uh, we knew was going to be a little dinged up and out for a little bit that we were going to all have to find a way to contribute to try to make up for her absence in our lineup. It's not something that's uncommon for us. You know, this year we've kind of gotten used to uh, when somebody goes down for a short period of time is who's, you know, everybody else needs to give just a little bit more uh, to step up and make make up for that person's absence and um and you know i think that uh, izzy has has really taken that to heart but i really think our whole entire team has kind of embraced that and and they want to try to um pick up um in the areas where where bella really is strong for us and and find ways to to contribute in her absence 87-72 the huskers gained a season split with the win over penn state yesterday you know, these games kind of run together after a while, but when you think about the game in Happy Valley, that was Izzy's first game back after missing four games with the ankle injury. Now you didn't have Bella yesterday. A little over two weeks ago at Penn State, they outshot you by a lot at the free throw line. You were minus 20 in that game in free throw attempts. Yesterday, you were plus seven. So, you know, it's kind of comparing apples and oranges, I get it, but what really, in your mind, was the differences in, in getting the win yesterday against the, the game at Penn State a few weeks ago? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I, I really think the biggest difference, Matt, was just our effort and intentional um, approach to the transition defense, and just, uh, and I thought when we played at Penn State, we kind of got smacked in the mouth a little bit with how fast they were coming back down the court at us and we did not get located out to shooters we got uh, we gave up way too many uncontested uh, three-point shots and I think uh, to be honest with you they hit some really contested threes yesterday that um, just were really tough shots Maddie Burke in particular Uh, but for the most part I felt like yesterday we did a much better job of of getting back and locating and transition and making them have to take tough shots and work a little bit harder and work a little more shot clock uh, in each possession. And, you know, I know um, Penn State's goal is to score in the 80s, win games in at least the 80s. Um, For us, that's, you know, we know that doesn't play to our advantage. We wanted to keep the ball, uh, the score well below that. We were aiming for 60s. I think we gave up 72 points, but, um, you know, fortunately we shot it well enough for that to be enough. Let's head to the phones on our Woodhouse Auto Family hotline. The Sports Nightly Hotline is brought to you by Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. Let's go down to Gage County, and let's go to Brad in Beatrice. Brad, you're on with Coach Williams. Good evening, and thanks for taking the call. Um, Coach, what I wanted to talk about was is yesterday you had a lot of consistency. You had five players in double figures. Um, you had players coming off the bench and contributing valuable minutes. I mean, I commented on this a few weeks ago. Whenever you put a new set of five on the floor, they just pick up and keep going. They have different strengths as a group um, with each group of five that you put out there, but they maintain score, they increase score, and um, I'm really proud of this team. I mean, I've been uh, part of a, I've been a fan of this program for 20 years, and this is one of the more prouder teams I've ever been uh, at with 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 the young women who. No matter what the adversity is, they just keep coming out there and, and taking it to people. So congratulations on whatever you're doing and bottling up during practice. 
Well, thank you, Brad, so much for um, those comments. And, and I agree with you. I thought um, really, you know, excited to come on tonight and talk about two wins. Two could not be any more different wins, you know, at Northwestern. <laughs> um, I don't think I've ever been a part of anything with 28 turnovers and only forcing four and to still come out with a win, you know. It, and I thought that really showed a lot of grit and toughness and fight to overcome that many mistakes in a game and still win on the road but um, yesterday like you mentioned I just really felt like it was one of our more complete ball games as a whole I just I really did I felt like we had contributions from all over the place and Ani Stewart came in and really sparked us with probably 10 of the fastest points that you could possibly put up on the board and I thought Michael Caton and Kendall Coley hitting those back-to-back threes there in the third quarter really kind of um, broke it open a little bit for us gave us enough of a cushion there um, you know I thought you know just some really good defensive performance Ruby Porter even though she didn't score um, played fantastic defense and was a huge reason why um our transition defense was she's the most vocal player on our team without question and the way she talks and directs traffic in transition defense led to us getting matched up a lot better than we did the first time we played Penn State and you know her contributions were big even though it didn't show up necessarily on the scoreboard and points and you know so I just from top to bottom I could just continue to go right through the entire roster of the contributions that we had yesterday and that's what it takes to win games in the Big Ten this time of year you know we're just it doesn't matter who you're playing or where you're playing or what the, it's going to be a tough tough battle and I was really proud of that effort yesterday. 